From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the big event and welcome back to the intro, Heather Knight. Hey, it's good to be back. We're here for So I Married an Axe Murderer. I've got to ask you, Heather, favorite line? It's probably a tie between his spoken word poetry where he calls his beloved a hard-hearted harbinger of haggis (laughs) and the whole scene where Mike Myers is playing his own dad. And just goes off on the brother with the huge head. <laughs> with the huge head. He's going to cry himself to sleep on his huge pillow. <laughs> um, excellent Scottish accent there. <laughs> you just threw that in. 1993 movie stars Michael Myers as a beat poet in San Francisco. There were so many of those in the 90s. <laughs> Back and, when you could afford rent. Yeah. And Nancy Travis is a butcher. They fall in love, but their courtship is complicated because she might be an axe murderer. <laughs> Charlie McKenzie. Hello! Find something wrong. She's a thief. She was in the mafia. She smelled like soup. With every girl he dates. But when Charlie meets Harriet. Hi. Hi. He knows she's the one. You have the face of a wee angel. (laughs) I give! I give! I'm Charlie's father! Except for one thing. She might be a serial killer. It's an excellent San Francisco movie, and Heather, people can come see for themselves. Yes, apparently nobody listening ever saw this movie in the theater because (laughs) it totally bombed when it came out. So we are giving you another opportunity. Peter and I are continuing our Total SF project of highlighting the fun and whimsical side of San Francisco with movie screenings of films shot in San Francisco. And the first one is, you guessed it, So I Married an Axe Murderer. We'll be showing it at 7.30 on April 4th at the Balboa, which is on Balboa. (laughs) I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot here. But it's in the Outer Richmond. We'll be recording a podcast in the lobby beforehand at 6.30. It's called A Tribute to the Richmond District. We've got some special neighborhood guests. We've got a bagpiper. Peter is working on procuring some haggis. I'm not working too hard on that, but yeah. So it's going to be really fun. And you can buy your tickets now. So you can get your tickets at www.cinemasf.com. And we're going to talk about So I Married an Axe Murderer right now. Spoiler free. And we have Axe Murderer super fan Audrey Cooper here. Looking forward to showing it on April 4th. And I've been looking forward to this podcast. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. (laughs) Oh, sorry, we're already laughing. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to The Big Event. Welcome to the... So I Married an Axe Murderer tribute, Audrey Cooper and Heather Knight. Hello. Yay! You guys are really happy to be here. Um, <laughs> we've talked about this movie, it seems like, every time we've been on a podcast together. Um, so I Married an Axe Murderer, couple of sentences, where do you rank it, uh, where did you see it for the first time, where do you place it in SF movie history? I will go first. This, I, I think I said on my first appearance on the podcast that this is my favorite San Francisco movie. And I, I'll slightly alter that to say it is my favorite San Francisco comedy movie. But to me, this is a perfect movie from the 1990s. I mean, even the opening music took me back to high school, which was probably when I saw it on a date with my now husband. So maybe that's also part of the nostalgia for me but this has to be at the top of everybody's list and anytime I meet somebody who has not seen this it is OG Mike Myers 
Forget about Wayne's World. Forget about Austin Powers. His best movie, I think. Wow, that that is that is high praise, and that soundtrack, that '90s soundtrack. I actually have the Chronicle ad here. They advertise the soundtrack on the Chronicle ad, including Soul Asylum, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, uh, the Boo, Rad- Boo Radleys, and Chris Whiteley. Yeah, there, there she goes. Is there? Yes, yes, the Boo Radley song. I just, it's so great. It's maybe even a better soundtrack than singles of the '90s. I would say. Or Reality is, Bites. Or is Reality good Bites. One. Yeah. Heather, your, your feelings on <laughs> top that. Well, first, I just want to say that I would place money on the fact that no other major newspaper's editor-in-chief has ever <laughs> done a podcast episode on So I Married an Axe Murder. So we're breaking <laughs> records Barriers. Right here. I'll put it on my bio. <laughs> I don't remember the day or anything, but I'm pretty positive that I saw it with my college roommate because she has a very weird and wacky sense of humor, and she introduced me to lots of... Um, movies like Office Space was a similar one, or ones that nobody ever saw in a theater because they bombed but then became cult classics watching them in your dorm room or whatever. So I suspect that some Crystal Light mixed with vodka might have been involved. That was our <laughs> our drink in the dorms. It was really great. And um, we would quote the movie all the time. I mean, we could just do this podcast episode with quotes for half an hour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw it, I think... Um, on like VHS in college, a bunch of people in the room, there might've been some smoking of weed or drinking. (laughs) And um, I don't remember loving it because you know, there were people there, it was a distraction. I just walked away like, oh, that was all right. What? And then and then I watched it again after you guys kept talking about it. <laughs> and I agree with you. I think it is hilarious. I think this movie just coalesces well. And yes. and, and I it watched totally holds it. Up. It's funny. The parts that um maybe don't work still kind of work. Uh the San Francisco scenes. It, it's almost like they lean into the tourist traps and yeah. make it work. Yeah, when so. we discussed milk, I, I said at the time one of the things I loved about milk was you knew it was San Francisco, but there was no touristy things in it. This is the other end of that spectrum. Like even the cable car going by is like the scene changer. It's so cheesy, which is it's it, leaning in is like an understatement. And Mike yeah. Myers and his good buddy just randomly decide to go to Alcatraz, <laughs> like as no two friends who actually live in the city have ever done on their day off. But it's so fun. And they know the guy, Vicky. It's uh, Vicky. Yeah, <laughs> Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. They Aww, they know so the great. tour guide. I mean, like every. San Franciscan knows their Alcatraz tour guide by name. Um, And it works. It works. It's a good movie. So we're going to talk about it. This is going to be a fun one. Um, But this is this is kind of leaking into real life here because we are um, going to screen this movie on April 4th. Yes. And um, there's actual reporting going on with this, Heather, mostly by you successfully. you found the bagpiper from So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yes. This yeah. is like the 10th time you've challenged me to do something on Twitter that I then feel compelled to do. So you said, we are getting a bagpiper, <laughs> which meant I was finding us a bagpiper. Uh-huh. And, um, well, it started because the lovely Beth Spotswood, another columnist at the Chronicle, knew a connection, a bagpiper in the police department. So she contacted him. He did not sound all that excited about being our bagpiper, but he gave us the phone number for Jack Cunningham, who was the original piper in the movie, the one who passes out drunk, and um, (laughs) the classic line, we have a piper down. So I found him. He's 84 now, living in the mission, and he doesn't play the bagpipes anymore because he had a bad fall and injured his mouth, so he can't play, but he told me- Hopefully not while filming that movie. 
No, no, later. a different bagpiper now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he told me about the movie and how he got the job because he was the only bagpiper in the city who could play Do You Think I'm Sexy on the bagpipes. If you think I'm sexy and you want my body, all you got to do is come. If you want my body, all you think I'm sexy, just come and let me know. And... <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Um, and he said that afterwards, pipers around the city were annoyed with the movie because whenever they'd be hired to do weddings, people would always request, do you think him sexy? And nobody <laughs> else but him knows how to play it. Um, but then he said he couldn't do it himself up here at our movie night, but he gave me the number for his student, who is 74, <laughs> 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 who runs the House of Bagpipes, and he is going to play at our movie night. That's awesome. And and what is his name? And uh, Lynn Miller, okay, owner and operator of the House of Bagpipes. He um, he sounded like Bubba Gump talking about shrimp. He said he repairs bagpipes, he makes bagpipes, he <laughs> plays bagpipes, he teaches bagpipes, and he was really excited to come play the bagpipes for us. That's I awesome. have to say, after this Twitter conversation started, and then we put you down the bagpipe route and you, and Peter down the haggis route. I went home and I said to my husband, I was like, I'm pretty sure Heather and Peter got nothing accomplished today at work. <laughs> it was important at all. Uh well, that's that's excellent. Um, I don't want to eat haggis. Like I can't. You're think... just trying to not find haggis. I am trying to not find haggis. <laughs> I don't mind finding haggis. I just I really don't want to eat I'll it. I'll eat it. I lost a bet and got a tattoo in college. I would rather do that again than eat haggis. That that sounds less scary to me. You than You could get a haggis, haggis tattoo or a giant cup of cappuccino <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> I believe I ordered a large cappuccino. But I did do a little looking into um, uh, the haggis situation in San Francisco. I got some help from Joe Eskenazi, who put me in touch with his haggis guy. <laughs> I love that he has a haggis guy. And then uh, Butcher Boy, uh, Butcher Boy, Boy 415 on Twitter, who is actually, uh, he, he's on the radio a lot, too, uh, at uh, 95.7 The Game. And um, he got me in touch with a butcher as well. Um, haggis is... Pure haggis, as as the Scots eat haggis here, is illegal um, because it uses sheep's lungs, and apparently it's kind of like the shark fin soup thing that I haven't this totally got any sense at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I need to answer these questions. Also, I feel like that's scaring you off. Nobody gets arrested in San Francisco for anything, so it's fine. That's true, and and the the haggis that we found is in Berkeley. There's a shop that has it. Um, I need to do additional reporting. I'm not a Heather Knight here. I, I don't, I can't tell you, I, I can't produce haggis right now, but I know that it's illegal. I know that um, people are serving it in the Bay Area, and what I'm unclear on is whether they are serving it illegally or if they are serving it without the uh, sheep's lung, which Pure Scots say that is not actual haggis. I think we should explain why we're talking about haggis, though, because this is like when Mike Myers is like a member of the Scottish of Scottish family uh -huh. in San Francisco in this movie. So there's a lot of Scottish references, including the bagpipers and haggis yes. and giant heads. Yeah. Well, the movie, it's um, Mike Myers, and uh, it was not originally Mike Myers. This was written by a guy named Robbie Fox, and they were trying to get uh, more neurotic person Woody Allen they were in heavy pursuit for Woody Allen to play the main role 
Gary Shandling. Uh, no. Anyway, Gary Shandling. That Gary Shandling. Oh my gosh! Would not have. But it was a different movie. It was not a Mike Myers movie. It was a movie that um, was, uh, I think, a little bit more of a dark comedy. The Chronicle covered it actually from a very early time. It was early in 1992 when they started shooting here. Um, immediately, Herb Kane is on it. Herb Herb Kane still has his column, and the first reporting of "So I Married an Axe Murderer" appropriately was disaster. Uh, Nancy Travis, suspected of being the axe murderer in the movie, plays a butcher shop owner appropriately. While filming a scene in the famous R. Iacopi meat market at Granton Union, she chopped off the tip of her left middle finger <laughs> and rushed it over to Dr. Michael Kulik. Michael Kulik is still practicing. He's a hand surgeon and plastic surgeon. So we should invite him yes. to <laughs> to the movie. <laughs> Who sewed it back on with a jillion tiny stitches. We all know how important the middle finger is these days. <laughs> so That's that was a good line. that was the beginning of shooting of um So I Married an Axe Murderer and um from there it did not get better. Uh that was not the only person rushed to the hospital also in a Herb Kane column. Michael Smuin, the ballet director of many years here, was doing choreography for the movie and was rushed to the hospital for exhaustion. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of choreography not needed. Ballet dance that <laughs> Michael Schmoon would do. And basically, I mean, every report is something bad going on during the filming of this. It was cursed. This. It was cursed. Um, love this one. This is my favorite one. Uh, Hollywood company that's in town filming So I Married an Axe Murderer starring Michael Myers wanted to shoot in the world-famed City Lights bookstore, but owner Lawrence Ferlinghetti said no. Quote, I know it's a comedy, but axe murders and city lights don't go together, he explained. <laughs> <laughs> Adding, some of, my, some of my people think the story is sexist. Huh. So. Sexist. What was sexist about it? Lighten up, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Also, it's a woman being an axe murderer. Yeah, I mean, besides ass. Lizzie Borden, what other famous <laughs> female axe murderers do you make? No. Yeah, no. I mean, so happy 100th birthday, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, but lighten you up. You were wrong on, axe on murder. So I Married an Axe Murderer. Maybe if he watches it again, he'll like it a little more like I did. Um, we went down to, to LA. We actually sent John Stanley down to Beverly Hills to the junket. And the headline is Choppy Waters for Axe Murderer Crew. And he just interviews everyone and they talk about while they're promoting the movie, the movie's not out. They talk about all the strife there was on the set huh. and how Mike Myers came in and rewrote the script. There was a big fight over whether Mike Myers would get credit for the script and he lost that arbitration and wasn't happy about it. So it was a mess. Wow. All capped in the fact that the movie came out and opened in 12th place in the box office, $3.4 million, was beat by another stakeout, Hocus Pocus, and Free Willy. <laughs> Free, Willy had, oh. Free Willy had been out three weeks and made twice as much money of it. It was a total bomb, and at the time, everyone thought it was huh. just a disaster. Thoughts? That's ridiculous. I'm surprised. <laughs> I mean, didn't it come out the year after Wayne's World did? So you would think that he had some star power to bring at least a few more friends to yeah. the box office. Yeah, it was between Wayne's World and Austin Powers. And um, I think that Wayne's World was a hit, but he was kind of seen as this goofy guy. So he wanted to be a little bit more of a romantic lead. And he also wanted to be seen as a writer and someone who, who would contribute in that way, too. So, um, yeah, it, it's... 
it's surprising. I mean, at the time, you'd think it would be a big hit. It, it's funny. It's got that 90s soundtrack. And uh, no, it, it bombed. It bombed big time. I mean, the people involved with this movie, I'm sure at the time, were sorry they ever got involved with it and saw it. Maybe the Balboa Theater will, like, double the box office <laughs> take once we bring it back for Total SF. Yes. So, but then, 26 years pass, and it's a cult classic. It does really well on cable. Um, little tidbit, the producer, Robert Freed and Nancy Travis, are married. They met so on the set. So one good thing came out of one it. One good thing. A lot of good things came out of it. Uh, Tom- she lost her finger and got a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Shalame rhymes with salami, uh, as John Stanley pointed out in the article in the Chronicle. Um, he went on to direct for uh, Aaron Sorkin. He directed West Wing and Sports Night in the newsroom. Still very successful. So a lot of people had successful careers after this. Just this movie in the moment bombed. Hmm. Um, I think that's all the more reason to celebrate it now and spread the word. Absolutely. So let's just talk about what what works. What do you like about it? And starting with you, Audrey. Oh, I have so many things I love about this movie. All right, first of all, the newspaper that is central to this is not the Chronicle. It's the what, weekly world news, yes. world news of the world, and that spews like the whole point of the article that cr- creates the plot line, which I love. It was filmed here at the Chronicle. So when I was watching it the other night, I paused it, and my kid utterly freaked out. He was so excited to uh-huh. see it in a movie. Um, I could see your office. Yeah, you can see my office. It's messier back then than it is now, which I was really impressed of. Um, There's also there's a lot of good journalism references, including Mike Myers' father saying that there's a pentavery that (laughs) runs everything, including the newspaper, and it includes the Gettys and the Queen, which I think is now everybody knows the Gettys and the Queen actually do run the Chronicle too. Well, it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim, that there's a secret society of the five wealthiest people in the world, known as the Pentaverite, mm. who run everything in the world, including the newspapers, and meet tri-annually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. So who's in this Pentaverite? The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tetsa. Oh, I hated the colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to buy my chicken. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it, there's just uh, those are those are my top favorite things. And also, uh, I'll add one more thing. The locations that they shoot in are just awesome. Like even yeah. the Dunsmere house in Oakland, which I didn't even know was like a I've never been there. I didn't know what was the thing. I, I looked it up. They're all very local shoots. Yeah. You don't see that anymore. Not as often. And now we know Kramer from Seinfeld has been in the Chronicle, which is cool. He plays like the crazy cops reporter, right? Yeah, and their their conversation is very. Um, it does not. Uh, it's the Globe, by the way. They didn't let them use the Chronicle's huh. name, but they let them shoot there. It's the San Francisco Globe, and eh, uh, they would have been fired. <laughs> it, would have been, it did not. It did not reflect. Maybe not in 1993 at the Chronicle. Maybe today they would be, yeah. but maybe not in 1993. I liked how anybody could just lock in through the newsroom, go all the way to the back. Like Mike Myers just comes in to do some research. What our where our design desk is now? I think I worked it out, and I think yeah, it's yeah. right around where John Blanchard sits. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Heather, your thoughts? I love this movie. I love everything about it. I loved. Um, 
the Scottish family, every scene in their living room is just classic. You gotta love the brother with the huge head, <laughs> which prompts a lot of the best lines. Heed, heed. <laughs> Move. It's like an orange on a toothpick. It's going to cry himself to sleep <laughs> on this giant pillar. <laughs> Um, I love all the San Francisco scenes from the first moments when you see the ferry building and then it kind of swoops into North Beach and Coit Tower and um, it seems like there's always like big skyline shots in San Francisco movies but it's usually during the day and this I just noted that it was like black and it's at night and all the lights are lit up and it was super cool so you're automatically placed right in the city and um, love the goofy poetry and the spoken word he's a spoken word poet is that mm. his job i couldn't it figure that like out it. i mean did he have a job or he, he was just a beat poet in the 90s that could not have made rent <laughs> in today's san francisco not in today's san francisco definitely not but um he he meets his love at the butcher shop ordering haggis for his scottish family and then when he tries um to win her back with a poem he calls her the hard-hearted harbinger of haggis so so many lines to remember, and that's my favorite part. I I love everything you're saying. I agree. Um, well written. Whatever clash of personalities was going on between the original writer and Mike Myers and, and his co-writer, um, I think it worked. I think just like the chemistry turned out right, and they yeah. may have all hated each other, but they probably helped each other. It probably would have been a worse movie with, with either one of them individually. A um, couple things I think that are kind of underrated. The cameos are so great. Mm-hmm. You have Charles Grodin for a minute or less. You have Alan Arkin as the police chief uh-huh. for like the two nice minutes. The nice police chief. And he's great. Um, Phil Hartman, we already mm-hmm. mentioned. Alcat- Alcatraz tour guide. And and then so we have all that, you know, these great um, comedians. And then you have a lot of little San Francisco cameos too. Sintra Wilson's in there. She's, I think, the MC at the... Uh, uh, first um, uh, beat poetry, whatever that was in the coffee okay. shop. Uh, Bob Sarlat is there, but I think that's great. And then I think when you look at the um, actors and actresses involved, Nancy Travis is fantastic. That is not an easy role because you're wondering throughout, and we're not going to give it away, but you're wondering throughout, is she or isn't she? And she has to play this person who's a little bit unbalanced enough that you think she might be an axe murderer, but also that she's this great, catch for the Michael Myers character, Charlie. When we posted on Twitter that we were doing this, we got a ton of response from local followers on Twitter who were in the movie one way or another. It seemed like they just needed anybody living in San Francisco (laughs) to be an extra at the time. So people are weighing in like, I was the guy who carried the drunk Piper out or whatever. I also have to say the thing that, like, besides the San Francisco stuff, I don't know if you could love this movie as much as I do if you're not a San Franciscan, but there's something to be said about the scooby-doo plotline simplicity (laughs) of this whole story that's just kind of charming nowadays and i feel like you could have gotten away within the 90s you could never get away with something this simple today but it's still very charming i think yeah like now it wouldn't even be like a sitcom 30 minutes on tv but they stretched it to 90 minutes and it worked um casting uh anthony lapaglia I, I'm the worst pronouncer, but um, he's fantastic as the friend, the undercover cop. Oh, yeah. 
he's not a guy you see in a lot of comedies and he's super funny and then they get the the best part of him though is him laughing to mike myers as his scottish father (laughs) doing improv and you can tell he's actually laughing it's not like acting it's just laughing at him it's so great well uh Maggie Serrata from Spin Magazine did a great story last year in 2018, and uh, she uh, actually interviewed him and and said that that was all ad-libbed. I mean, just like that whole scene was one big ad-lib, and he was laughing so much that they couldn't use a lot of the takes. So, Um, And I love Brenda Fricker. Um, Brenda Fricker, who uh, not, you know, three years before had gotten an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for My Left Foot. And then she's in So I Married an Axe Murder. And robbed. <laughs> and robbed. <laughs> Should have gotten another one. one. <laughs> and she's making out with uh, Anthony LaPaglia and just totally having fun with it. So um, I think the casting is great. San Francisco, we've talked about that a little bit, but um, the mm-hmm. the scene, at, uh, I think, is it Fort Point? And yeah, they're the out, it's their like first right date, and the bridge is like four times as big as it would be in that situation. And it's then almost... they turn around and walk like four feet, and they're at the Palace of Fine Arts. <laughs> yeah. But it's almost like absurdist. It's almost surreal. And I was sort of bugged by it because I watched this movie again and it was kind of like watching it for the first time. And I was kind of groaning a little bit. And then you get to Alcatraz and Vicky, (laughs) Phil Hartman, is... um, He's so amazing in this. Like, I really, I miss Phil Hartman after watching it. It kind of made me sad. You guys are going to be happy. I pulled so much audio for this, so you're not hearing it, but there have already been like three or four great oh, awesome. um, axe murder lines in this. I so. want the huge pillow line in there. <laughs> the huge pillow line and also um, the entire first poem that has to be yes. in there. She stole my heart and my cat. So the first poem and the last poem um, beat poetry, not what you expect to be framing your comedy. Um, that's got to be all Mike Myers, right? Yeah, well, it's so it's so much a part of San Francisco history, too, it, it, and the whole coffee culture and all of that was. But I also remember, I don't know about you guys, but that was a huge part of the early 90s for me, too. Like, I don't know, it's a sense of place, and it also made me think back to, like, going to Java Gaia on Southwest Boulevard and, like, listening to poets like this. I don't <laughs> think they were as bad as him, <laughs> and I don't think they made a living at it, but it was definitely part of the 90s. I thought it made North Beach look so fun. Like, all the street scenes there were packed. I feel like most people go out in the mission now, but maybe that was the thing to do yeah. before. So other any other positives on So I Married an Axe Murderer? Everything. Everything. All good? Okay, I have nitpicks. I have so many. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, can I start? Sure. Yeah. All right. This is every movie set in San Francisco, but he just keeps driving that car right into the parking spot, right in front of <laughs> everything. And it's almost like it's almost like they're trolling us because they show it every time. You don't even have to show it. You could show him driving and cut it off and just have him walking up, but they the show him. And I'm just like, ah! I think every San Francisco notices There's that. There's never a parking place in front of your house when you need it. <laughs> where Where is she living on a butcher's salary? 
That is like that is that Where place. Where is he living on a beat poet salary? That place rents for five thousand a month in nineteen ninety three. First of all, it looks like anthropology inside, and second of all, her bathroom and her jacuzzi tub. That whole room is bigger than my entire house. <laughs> like I don't know where she's getting that this money. That whole thing is huge. Maybe yeah. she got it from all of her previous husbands. Oh, Ooh. oh, no spoilers. <laughs> uh, so those are those are my two larger nitpicks. I have some nitpicks. Okay, go. First of all, they're never wearing a coat. I wear a coat 360 days a year in this town. They're even walking in the rain at one point. Pouring rain. And it's not cold (laughs) enough to wear a coat. Why is nobody wearing a coat in this movie? Um, The the single family house that this odd family is living (laughs) in just seems a little implausible to me. Her giant apartment I had. they go to Fog City Diner. Like, does anybody but tourists go to Fog City Diner? I shouldn't say that. I'm going to get hate mail from the Fog City Diner people, but I, I don't know about that. Um, and then the backyard um, party at the end is as big as, like, all of the San Francisco Zoo and has redwood <laughs> trees back there. I don't know anyone who has a backyard this size. Those are my nitpicks. Those are good ones. Heather? I don't have a lot of nitpicks. I loved it, but I thought the third act which i won't describe in very much detail but yeah it was my least favorite section of the movie it kind of takes a while to resolve and it just gets super goofy like even goofier than the rest and the dad isn't in it i mean he's my favorite okay but how many scottish immigrants have you ever met in san francisco i'm sure there must be a scottish immigrant community here somewhere i have talked to two jack cunningham oh, and all right student. two maybe maybe <laughs> I, I, we should have pulled census data on the scottish population of san francisco it's not it's not our immigrant community that we are most known for i would no. say i think uh scott i think we've established that the scottish community the bagpiping community and the butcher community <laughs> is still strong in san francisco um my problem and i think this is a 90s thing you had like Dana Carvey, Michael Myers, Adam Sandler making these movies with this fantasy that a kind of dorky guy in a state of arrested development would be mm-hmm. super attractive. Yeah. And I don't know anybody. I was, you know, a dorky, guy. goofy guy. <laughs> I was that guy. And it wasn't an attractive thing. It wasn't until I kind of learned to shed that part of my personality <laughs> that um, I finally was able to date and, you know. So I, I, I found that to be inauthentic, and I think that's a problem of movies at the time. You look at him, and you kind of wonder, why is she with him? Yeah. And, of course, on their first date, he says he's going to go home, and she says he needs to stay. And it's like, uh-huh, Nancy Travis <laughs> really wants, is going to convince Mike Myers. Yeah, but these are small nitpicks. It's I, a great movie. It's a great movie. I, I think it's a movie that film critics, you look at it. I, I felt the same way about Princess Diaries. Um, you look at it as a film critic and there are structural problems, but I don't think people think of that. I think people who watch it that aren't film critics realize they're having a good time. There's a scene at the end. We won't give it away too much, but it's, it's a lot of action and not much, not many jokes going on, and that doesn't work. But when you're watching it, that's when you go get a sandwich or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I go get an it's-it, whatever. I mean, so I think those scenes... You get scenes, dressed up as an it's-it. Yeah, whatever. So I think those scenes like don't bug me like they would have. So they don't bug me like it would have if I was a critic sitting there making notes on everything and trying to compare this to you know, The Conversation or The Godfather yeah. or something like that. So 
Um, it wasn't trying to be an Oscar winner, even though it should have been. So I'm super excited to show <laughs> this movie for an audience of uh, there will be some Chronicle readers there. We're getting a really good response. Yeah, Heather. lots of people love this movie, and you don't see it in theaters very often, so we're bringing it back. Yeah, Apparently were... nobody saw it in the theater <laughs> the first time around. So come to So I Married an Axe Murder. Um, I wanted to talk about it. If this does really well, we've talked about doing a few other movies. What would be some good movies to show for a crowd? And I think this is different than the question of what movies should we be paying tribute to on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, What movies like this just play well for a crowd? Doesn't have to be a great movie, but plays well for a crowd. The one that's come up on Twitter already a few times is The Rock, which will necessitate you going to Alcatraz. Okay. I like The Rock. I like The Rock. I mean, I I don't understand still why we're not talking about Planes 2, but I know (laughs) that ship has sailed. Obviously Sister Act. (laughs) No! (laughs) I was going to save that till later, but I think there's certain qualities. Again, movies don't have to be perfect. The Rock isn't perfect, but I think it plays well for a crowd. Sister Act sing-along. Sister Act sing-along I think would be really good. I think Inside Out would be good. It's only been a few years. Not that much nostalgia, but yeah, for like a kid's matinee. And then I'm going to throw one out. Have you guys seen The Presidio? No. No. It's uh, got Sean Connery in it, Meg Ryan. No. All right, I'm down. All right, you should see this movie. Cool. It's, it's, again, a flawed movie, but there's a lot of good scenes in it and shows off San Francisco well. Nice. Other thoughts, other movies? Mrs. Doubtfire is always fun. Yeah. I think comedies work better for what we're aiming at. Yeah, I love, like, Milk. I think Milk is a great movie. I don't want to, like, have yeah total sf movie night with milk I don't, <laughs> if we had a good Ant-Man? interview with it ant-man yeah no i don't disagree i just think maybe it's been too soon oh too soon all right well i'll think harder about it then all right we've got a good list um i think this is going to be a great event um i told myself i'd mention it at least three times but i'm going to let you do it now heather <laughs> April 4th? April 4th, the screening's at 7.30, but we will be there probably around 6.30 in the lobby recording a podcast tribute to the Richmond District because it's at the Balboa Theater out in the far reaches of Balboa towards the ocean in outer Richmond. And we have some special neighborhood guests, including Supervisor Sandy Fewer and a bagpiper you might have <laughs> heard piper. us mention. So um, it's going to be super fun. Yeah, I know. We'll do some fun stuff. And then I have a, I'm putting together a little video. He said we could show a little video beforehand. So I'm finding I have a little uh, vault of old Bay Area commercials and I'm going to yes. go through and put something like that together. Also, I heard you were going to eat some haggis there <laughs> live on stage. So everybody has that to look forward to. If, if we get a sellout, I will eat haggis. Oh! Yay! If, if we get a sellout, I will eat haggis. But uh, if we don't, I am definitely The whole newsroom is going to show up <laughs> whether we want them to or not. Thank you both for coming. Are you going to make it? Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Audrey Cooper will be there. Yay. Watching Peter eat haggis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. Um, I'm very excited about this. I think uh, people are going to enjoy the movie, and I enjoyed talking about it with you. And I am ready to elevate this to the most, not maybe the best San Francisco movie of all time, but most underrated San Francisco it's movie. The best. Oh, it's easily the most underrated. Uh, I think we all can agree on that. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you. Darling, it's 2 a.m. It's time for closing. The cops, they're all sideways. 
You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Heather Knight and Audrey Cooper. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. Play. William, move your head. Look at the size of that boy's head. Shh. I'm not kidding, it's like an orange on a toothpick. Shh. You're gonna give the boy a complex. Well, that's a huge noggin. It's a virtual planetoid. Shh. Has its own weather system. Shh. Heed! <laughs>